This is a Federal News Network podcast. The IRS starts off this year's filing season in better shape than in the last couple of years. The National Taxpayer Advocate, in her annual report to Congress, finds the IRS has finally got its backlog down to a manageable size. It'll be able to focus on improving this year's filing season rather than catching up on tax returns from previous years. Federal News Network's Jory Heckman has more. And let's talk about that backlog. That's mostly the paper that keeps rolling in. Small percentage, but large number of paper returns that nobody was opening for a couple of years because nobody could go to the office. Yeah, it's been a small but mighty workload, that paper volume of tax returns. And you're right, in the initial stages of things, since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, the issue was nobody in the offices to do anything with that paper volume. But one thing to keep in mind here is that the IRS, as of the summer of 2020, was bringing people back to the offices. So that no longer became the key issue here. The other thing to think about is just the sheer amount of manual work IRS employees have to put into those paper tax returns versus the electronic ones. It's still, in this day and age, a lot of manual key the data into a database if they are getting that in hard copy. So are the root causes of the backlog fixed now? I mean, was it mainly the pandemic or was it also that they still have some modernizing to do even without pandemic and everybody working up to a full capacity? Well, it was a little bit of both of those issues and they are doing some modernization to get ahead of this you know, if this comes up and becomes a problem again, Aaron Collins, the national taxpayer advocate for a while now has called paper, the IRS's kryptonite. And the IRS is starting to get the ball rolling on some of this through this $80 billion it received in the Inflation Reduction Act. They have invested in more scanning technology so that this manual entry of data isn't happening quite so much. But one other thing that's becoming an issue here, according to this report to Congress, is that a lot of electronic tax returns, tax returns that should have been an issue, should have been easy to file, were getting tripped up in the IRS's filters for identity theft. And in those cases, that does require more attention from IRS employees to manually review those and make sure that everything's good to go. Or if it is, in fact, a case of identity theft, we're talking about 3 million cases here of suspected identity theft. And that's about half of the IRS's inventory of suspended tax returns. So if it automates and gets rid of the needed number of billets to take care of all of that paperwork and do all that keying in, where does it need to increase staffing? Because it's getting a lot of money coming its way. You know, basically the IRS needs staffing in all areas of its operations, but the most acute need is going to be in its taxpayer assistance operations and in its IT. But before it can even really get started on this enterprise-wide hiring that it needs to do. The National Taxpayer Advocate says that the IRS needs to invest in its human capital office. We've seen this with any kind of major scaling up of any kind of agency, any major hiring initiatives. You need to hire the people who are doing the hiring and do that long-term planning. So it's not just this hand-to-mouth effort here. They have to do things like review the incoming applicants. They have to approve new position descriptions, post the job announcements and everything else that comes along with that. And besides the backlog, they've had continuing issues with the inability to answer the phones or to answer whatever ways people have inbound queries to the IRS. Their customer service has been really dismal. What are they doing about that? And what does Aaron Collins say they still need to do? Well, this is the part of the report where there aren't 
any good ways to sugarcoat it, the level of taxpayer service has been bad and continues to be bad. The IRS received 173 million calls in fiscal 2022, but only 13% of callers got through to an IRS employee. Not much better if you're a professional tax preparer trying to do this on behalf of your clients. They had about 16% of calls get through to an IRS employee and had long wait times there. And so until the IRS can build up really a critical mass of new trained employees, Collins described this kind of being a zero-sum game, that you have a finite number of employees and a pretty wide portfolio of missions. And so if you're moving people off of processing the backlog to train people, they're not doing that original workload. If you're moving people to answer the phones, they're not doing those other functions. And so it can be a lot of shuffling around people, but you got to make sure that everything's being addressed. And really, there's an element of modernization there too, right? I mean, they've got to have an omni-channel is the current word in in the customer experience so people can chat or email or phone or I guess in some cases even snail mail. People still want to use postal service and they need to prioritize and design the system such that when you do need a real person to answer you on the phone, that person's not dealing with 10,000 other mundane things that should be answered with a bot. Yeah. You know, the way I've heard it described before is that the IRS doesn't get to pick its customers. Its customer base is everyone who is earning some sort of income in this country. They have to deal with all those channels. They have to do everything you described, the phone, the online, the in-person, all of the above. And they have to make sure that they're doing those well and that they're able to get people's questions answered. And so that's a daunting task. And we're going to see more of this come into focus pretty soon. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, pretty soon after this $80 billion in the Inflation Reduction Act became a reality, she said, all right, we need to see a plan of how this is going to be spent. And so that report's going to be due in mid-February. Kind of strange. They got the $80 billion without knowing how it would be spent. Maybe they only need 40 so what is the deadline for the uh, for the plan from the IRS to spend that? So, I mean, this is going to be something that's a long-term effort. This is a timeline of a decade that they're going to spend down that money. And so what we're going to see in this mid-February report is a first wave of where this money is going to be spent. A lot of what we've heard leading up to this is that it's going to be focused on this taxpayer experience, realizing it's not been acceptable up until now and that more resources need to be added to it. Well, more to come, as they say. Federal News Network's Jory Heckman, thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. And check out his story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics. I um, One of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from, from the NFL 
uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of, of people with intellectual disabilities and, and, and physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually, usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. And so I, I knew that I knew that work a bit, you know, they, they basically were in direct care. And, and I will say, and on, a, obviously we'll say about my, my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but, uh, the, the men and women that do take care of people with uh, profound disabilities are, are really, um, you know, we, we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they're, they're really heroes. And, um, so I was, I was drawn when I, I, and I just saw that, you know, Special Olympics was looking for someone and I thought, well, you know, take a look at it and see, see, you know, throw, uh, send in my information and lo and behold, I, I, I get hired and, um, I learn, uh, every day, almost something from, especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington, DC. And, you know, uh, Terrell, who, who works in, in our mailroom, who comes by with packages and deliveries. Uh, if you're having a day that's, you know, getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by always happy, always enthused, uh, has a, has a good story. Like it can just turn a day around for you. And, and, and you think of, I, I, you know, so often when he'll walk away, I'll be like, you know, whatever was bothering me or whatever is, you know, stressing me out. And come on, you know, like look at look at Terrell. Like he, he he faces everything with optimism, and 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 I've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the United States and globally. You see people who have had everything stacked against them. You know, their parents when they were born were often told this is a tragedy, and you should you should you know send your this child away. Don't don't you know and, and kind of forget about them. Get, turn them over to the state or or wherever. And and you know that you know just kind of wash, wash your hands of it. Um, and 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 in in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and but they've still faced enormous challenges, you know. And but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming, and uh, and and you know, besting their times from, from their last competition. And they're so committed and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs. And, and, and I've seen so much perseverance and grit uh, from the athletes of Special Olympics that, uh, I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman, uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more. Uh, we get more than we give uh, working with Special Olympics. It, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do. But but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That that you know, it's a and it's so unique and it's so. Uh, joyful and and uh, I mean we work hard and you know we we're up against you know the things that nonprofits are up against and you know the you know the issues of the day but uh man you see it, it and 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 the inclusion and the at Special Olympics no one's excluded 
you know, no, right. no one's excluded. Everyone yeah. is equal at Special Olympics. It, and, you know, in a country that's quite divided on so many lines, politically and uh, socially, uh, economically, race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot, but you go to Special Olympics and everyone's involved, everyone's welcome, everyone's equal. And I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics in experience the power of Special Olympics for themselves, I, I, I can't imagine that one help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get, how can listeners get involved in Special Olympics? Ways to get involved? Uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials, um, and, and the thing that, that, that uh, Tim Shriver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I mentioned earlier, um, where people, and, and it doesn't have to be, uh, it's not just school age, it's, it's uh, you know, we say nine to 99 or uh, year old uh, folks uh, that play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together. Uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think, when you when you go back to the founding uh, of our organization, what Mrs. Tri- Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to, to uh, create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and, and celebrate differences and that our athletes, man, are some of the grittiest people that you will meet. And, and, uh, and there's a lot to learn from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is, is how you'll learn it. Check us out, uh, you know, uh, specialolympics.org on, on our website, uh, that will link you to your local program. You can follow through the, the clicks of how to get involved and where, what's closest to you. You'll enjoy it. I can promise you that. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and we'll, uh, Talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.